Hey listeners, I'm your host, Sally Holder. Join me each week to escape and be refreshed with stories of people who dared not to settle for the American dream. Go beyond just getting enough in life and live into a place where big dreams actually do come true. Each week, you'll discover why internal success is better than external success. Be prepared to redefine what your best looks like in life and free yourself from the guilt of wanting more. Hey listeners, in this episode, I am interviewing Carolyn Mano. She is an incredibly amazing woman. I know you all are going to love her. She's a former NBC sports journalist who is sharing exactly how she's followed her intuition to create a career she never expected. She's one of the most successful sports journalists in the industry, really, having covered more Summer Olympics, the Kentucky Derby, Monday Night Football, I mean, really more sports than any of us can imagine. So how did she end up there? Well, it all began actually when she got lost in the journalism school and she hasn't looked back since. She's followed her intuition to the career of her dreams and she's not stopping now. You're gonna hear Carolyn's story of how she broke into the ranks at NBC Sports. Here's a hint, she follows her intuition in that moment as well. She also shares that despite the success she's had in her industry, that she's had moments where she still feels like she's at rock middle. In this episode, she's honest, candid, and completely open about how she's not sure what's next in her career journey. So what's so different about that, you might ask? Well, I find in my coaching business that women tend to use any lack of clarity in their career as a reason to beat themselves up. They call themselves a failure, and that's exactly the moment when most women stop following their intuition, the very thing that took them this far in their career, they lose trust in. So I just love how Carolyn is in the midst of that rock middle moment, but she shows everyone that we still have a choice. We always do. We can choose to believe this is an obstacle, this time in our lives, or that it's an opportunity for growth. What you choose in that moment will determine where you go next. So choose wisely, just like Carolyn did. Okay, I can't wait for us to get started. I am here with Carolyn Mano, a woman that I absolutely love and adore. And I know you guys are as well. You're going to fall in love with her with today's interview. And I just think the world of her. She has inspired me and she has done some amazing things in her career. And so I knew that she was going to be one of the very first people I wanted to interview on this podcast. And so I am so glad that you're with us, Carolyn. Thank you for taking some time. I'm so glad to be with you and right back at you, Sally. I am inspired by you on a daily basis and I love that you're on this path of helping people move forward in their lives and figuring out where they're going and I'm so excited to be a part of it. Well, thank you. So I wanted to talk to you specifically about dreaming big and being able to follow your passions. But before we get into all of that, let's kind of talk about how you got into this world of sports journalism, because it is a very unique 
um, world, very typically male dominated world. So tell me a little bit about kind of what attracted you to this business and um, how did you get into it? Yeah, well, the short answer is by accident. Um, I, <laughs> I went to college and I was playing lacrosse at the time. We, my brothers and sister and I, one of six kids, and we had always played sports growing up. Um, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college. I knew that I wanted to go to the University of Florida. I knew I wanted to play lacrosse there, but I was um, actually an English major, and I thought, well, maybe I'll go to law school. You know, I knew that I could basically add and subtract, and that was the end of my math ability. So it wasn't going to be down the science avenue or the math avenue. I had always had a brain that was somewhat geared towards, um, you know, languages and writing and that sort of thing. So I thought, well, I guess I'll just go to law school and become a lawyer. I mean, my dad's doing it, so I guess I'll do it too. And one day I was on my way to lacrosse practice and I ended up getting lost and I walked into the journalism and telecommunications building at the University of Florida where I went to school and I, I was immediately just kind of blown away by the energy over there and I was looking around and I thought to myself like nobody over here looks like they're working very hard everybody's smiling and going to class and I saw all the televisions and the radios and the hands-on approach they took in that building and I was a junior at the time and I was just buried in you know, papers and law prep, and I thought, I'm going to do this instead. This looks like a whole lot of fun. I mean, being the typical college student that I was, I really wasn't looking for responsibility at the time, and that seemed like a really fun way to go. So as a junior, I switched my major the very next week and went over into the telecommunications building and fell in love with it. I, I was a little naive about it. I mean, I had grown up watching the Today Show. I always loved the Olympics. I loved Katie Couric. I loved all these um, figures, you know, that we kind of think are at the very, very pinnacle of this profession, but I had never identified it as a profession that was for me. You know, I, it sounds kind of silly to say that, but I just, I thought that that's what they did. And then all the rest of us normal human beings went around and did what we did. And so when I saw that there was actually a real profession in this over in the telecommunications building, um, I became really inspired by it and then really passionate about it. So I abandoned everything that I thought that I wanted to do before um, and graduated uh, with a double major in telecommunication and political science. And then I just, I started sending my, my VHS tapes, not to date myself, um, all over the country. And I went where, where, you know, with one of three offers came back. I think I sent out maybe like 150 resume tapes as they were called, which is basically your, your reel of highlights, the best stuff that you've done. And they didn't come back right away. And I just kept sending them out as many as I could afford at the time because I was a college graduate and I, you know, wasn't making a ton of cash. I think I was working as a waitress at the time. So every time I could cobble like 50 or 75 bucks together, I would send out another round of 25 tapes to a bunch of different stations all across the country. And one day, uh, a station in South Bend, Indiana came back and they said, hey, we like you, we want to give you a shot. And I had, you know, I had done a little bit of sports and a little bit of news, but I, it was a big market. It was market 89, which is, you know, not one of the biggest TV markets in the country, but it was certainly a big job with big teams and Notre Dame football is a big deal nationally. And I said, well, are you sure? <laughs> are you, you know, I said, I, you know, I, I'm so flattered, but I don't think I have enough experience. And, um, they said, no, 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 just come on out anyway. We'll take you on anyway. And 
I, I said, okay, well, I'm doing this. And my parents kind of gave me a double, double glance, like, what exactly are you doing? What exactly did, did you graduate to do? And I packed up all my bags. And the night before Thanksgiving, um, about a little over a decade ago, I remember specifically them telling me, like, we need you out here before the holidays. We need you out here right away. And so um, the night before Thanksgiving, I packed up all my stuff. I jumped on a plane to the Midwest. I had never been out there before. I had never really seen snow before. Um, and I, I went out there and I landed and I, I took the train from Chicago. I had all these bags and didn't know what I was doing, you know, and um, got on a train and landed in South Bend, Indiana and was picked up by somebody and dropped off at an extended stay motel, which was really um kind of like a flea bag sort of place, really dirty and a couple cockroaches here and there maybe, but it was the only place that I could stay last minute at the time. And I remember on Thanksgiving night, I was out there and I just kind of had a, a meltdown and thought to myself, like, what am I doing? What did I do? You know, I just left my whole family behind. I left everybody behind, but I was pursuing this dream that I, for whatever reason, and I didn't even really know what the reason was. I knew it was what I was supposed to be doing. So I just went and did it. Um, but on Thanksgiving night, I'll never forget, I had a hot pocket and I bought a bottle of wine and I had a journal at the time and I was, you know, writing in my journal, like, I, can't, I don't know like what I'm doing, you know, and I, I still have the entry to this day. And at the very end of the entry, it just says, over and over again, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. I mean, I was in a headspace at the time where I just had to write it down to manifest it, you know, and um, so I was, you know, crying, calling my parents, eating this hot pocket on Thanksgiving as a young kid that moved out in the middle of the Midwest and was starting to pursue this dream for some reason that had just kind of come my way and that I fully wanted to pursue. Um, and it turned out from there that I was able to do it. And I started uh, working at a small station in Indiana, covered a ton of sports. And then a couple of years into it, uh, Boston came calling, which is a, a much, much bigger market. And it was, again, one of those feet to the fire moments where I said to my boss, are you sure I should take this job? Are you sure I can do it? You know, and he said, you don't have a choice. You have to do it. You know, they want, they want you to do it. You have to do it. And I said, okay, you know, if you think I can. And, you know, next thing you know, it's all the way from the Midwest over to Boston, which in my opinion is the best sports market in the country. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm covering Tom Brady at Patriots training camp with like 25 cameras all around me, you know, crunched in between 30 different guys and, wondering what the heck I'm doing there. And that's kind of been what my career has been. It's been saying yes to everything and wanting something so badly that you're willing to basically do anything for it. And um, along the way, I've really fallen in love with it and it's become a really wonderful, fulfilling career for me. That is such a fantastic story. I <laughs> am so grateful. I got so much out of that. I mean, I am absolutely amazed at how much you followed your intuition. I mean, that is typically so hard for people to do, especially in circumstances where, you know, like you were, you were following in the path of your dad, you were in something really traditional, you know, headed into law and then talk about a pivot to make this leap. And I love the story that you got lost and that's how you found your way into the journalism uh, building. <laughs> I, um, Sorry to cut you off. I, for me, 
early on in my career, this is why I love that your podcast is called the Rock Middle Podcast, because early on in my career, it was remarkably easy for me to follow my intuition and my gut. I just, I had identified my goal so early on and, and remained so steadfast and persistent in it that honestly, the decisions came a lot easier than they do now. You know, oddly enough, it's like you decide, you're a young kid, you don't know anything, you're a little naive, and you go, oh yeah, I want to do that okay, well, how do I do it? Oh, is this how I do it? Okay, I'm going to go do it that way, if that's how we do it, you know? And there's just, I think I think the naivety of all of that actually just played into my hands a little bit because I, I have always had a really strong gut intuition, um, you know, faith-based sort of direction navigation system, I guess, if you will, um, that has shown me the way. And um, when I was in Indiana and I was trying to figure out whether or not this, this move for Boston was for me. I went to Notre Dame and I went to the grotto there, which if, if you at home have been there, it's just such a beautiful, peaceful place. It's right on the water. It's a beautiful campus. And I just needed to think about things. And I, I said, like, I really need to know which way to go here. And um, I got up after some time of just kind of sitting there and really thinking about things. And I turned around and there were two guys in the middle of the Midwest in Indiana walking towards me wearing Celtics jerseys, Boston Celtics jerseys, because I was in between going to Boston and then I had offered, been offered another position in Houston. And the Boston decision for me required a little bit of risk. Uh, the Houston one was easy, but it was one that I didn't want. The Boston one was really going to be risky, and I didn't know if I should do it. And I swear to you, Sally, it, I, it was one of those moments that I'll just never forget. I turned around, and I saw these two guys in the middle of the country wearing Boston Celtics jerseys walking right towards me. And I thought to myself, okay, like if that's, if that's what I'm doing, then, then, um, then that's what I got to do. And I packed up all my stuff and I moved to Boston and risked it all again. Didn't know if the job was going to fully come through and it did. And I ended up covering the Boston Celtics, wouldn't you know it, for um, a couple of years. But I just always really followed what I thought I should be doing. And then um, I think the interesting thing is when you reach those goals and you're faced with the next set of goals and you're, you're at the bottom of the next mountain, that's really when I think you can be tested in, in different ways. I could not agree more. And actually, your experience with the Boston Celtics is something that I talk to my clients about all the time. And it's I feel like it's not something that is talked about in the corporate world enough. And that is to have the patience when you don't know the answer, to have the patience to take a breath and allow the answer to present itself in front of you. And just like this, that did with the Boston Celtics showing up for you. And I always say, if you look around with curiosity and ask the question, you know, of the universe, of God, whatever it is that you may believe, to, that the answer be presented to you and, and you take the time to look for the answer. I always tell my clients, it is right there in front of you. It will be shown to you. Don't rush the process, but allow it to come. And I love that you had that exact same experience. Yeah, I think it's true. I think awareness is key, you know, and really getting outside of our brains and really recognizing when we're anxious, when we're overthinking, when we're being impatient, it's easier said than done. I certainly don't have the solution to it, but when you, when you really stop and look and listen, a lot of times you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, the, the path is kind of laid out for us in some aspects and sometimes you have to make tough choices. And I think the thing that's valuable, especially when you get into the middle of your career or if you've had a setback or you don't know what you're doing at the beginning of your career is to really just know that, 
you know, choices and decisions aren't final. You can always pivot. You can always adapt. You can always figure out something else. And sometimes um, I think when we're in a tough spot, we think, well, if it's not this, it's going to be the end of the world. And if it didn't go according to my exact plan, it's going to be the end of the world. And it's like, no, not necessarily. No, it's, um, it's a long, rich journey that's filled with a lot of left and right turns. <laughs> and um, sometimes if you just slow down a little bit and try to force yourself to relax and breathe and get out of that, that negative, anxious headspace, you'll realize that you're actually okay. I couldn't agree more. One of the quotes that I really live by is, be clear on your intentions, but fluid on the how. And that's a lot of what you're describing is that <clears throat> we may not know how we're going to reach the final destination, but when we know where it is that we would like to go, you can then apply curiosity to it and say, you know, this must be just part of the journey. And you can be looking forward to the fact that each and every step you take is going to somehow take you closer to, you know, the end of the line where you want to ultimately be and end up. And, you know, you just make that positive assumption that those things are for your benefit rather than for your detriment. So I absolutely love your, your message about, I wrote it down. In fact, choices aren't final. You can always pivot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then you went from Boston and tell me about how you ended up with NBC sports and you were doing football night in America and you've done several of the summer Olympics. I mean, you have had an incredible career. So how did you transfer from Boston to ultimately NBC? Yeah. So I was, I went to Boston um, and I learned a lot really fast, you know, and I was, I have always been really lucky and really blessed to have mentorship. And I've, I've actively sought um, mentorship in every place that I've been in. You know, I, one of the first things I do when I walk into a new situation or a new sport or I'm covering something different or I'm a little out of my element is identify who has value, um, who could be a valuable mentor, who loves what I'm doing more than life itself. So if I'm, you know, the first time I covered uh, an event for USA Swimming, I walked in and I thought, well, I haven't done a lot of swimming and, you know, pretty familiar, but need to be brushing up. So, um, you know, who here is so passionate about swimming and would be kind enough and, you know, to, to be a resource for me and that sort of thing. So it was no different when I went to Boston. I thought, well, you know, who are the people around me that are going to help lift me up, that are going to give me really critical feedback, you know, positive and negative, and make me better. And I was so lucky to find so many people in that market that did that for me. Um, and they really did help me kind of take the next step in my career in a hurry. You know, um, Boston is a, a really special sports market. It's a, it's a tribal community of sports fans. And you really, you know, they really make you work for it. They really make you prove it to them that, that you want to be there and that you know what you're doing. And so, to make it there was a really important step for me in terms of taking um, uh, a step in the national direction, you know, being able to cover sports nationally. And so I had been in uh, Boston for a couple of years and I knew that I was going and able and interested in taking another step. You know, I always, I wanted to get to the next step on that ladder. And um, at the time I wasn't sure where it was going to come from. And I was coming down to the end of my, my contract in Boston and I thought, well, man, I don't want to, you know, like sign another couple years here because I'm ready for the next thing, the big thing. And so um, I had put that on hold because, I, again, I just went back to my gut and my gut was telling me, like, something's coming for you, you know. And so um, 
at that time, Comcast merged with NBC Universal, and so NBC Sports was in play. Uh, and I had had a really valuable mentor, my boss at the time, who recommended me um, to some of the national guys and said, "Hey, you really you should take a look at this. You know, this this young girl, this reporter, she could really be of value to you." And so um, I was so grateful to him for doing that. And they did. They basically said, hey, listen, we're going to hire you for the London Olympics. That was back in 2012 as a reporter. And if you make it, you know, there's a real shot that we're going to do full time. And if you don't, you know, thanks a lot and see you later. That sort of thing. So I, I no pressure, right? Everything. <laughs> right. So I <laughs> attached up everything that I had and I moved it into a storage unit. And I was sleeping on a friend's couch for a couple weeks leading into the London Olympics. And I just really kind of like, you know, I, I know that this is the opportunity that I want, um, but it was risky, again, to, to be in a position where you had to pivot. And so um, I went over to London and I was really focused and I um, raised my hand for absolutely everything. You know, if somebody said, oh, we need somebody to go to, to judo, who knows about judo? I know about judo. You know, I raised my hand and then I would run to the research room and say, hey, I need all this stuff. You know, I need all the research packet, the research manual on judo. Like, what is judo? <laughs> you know? I love yeah. it. I love it. Uh, Put yourself in the yeah. position first. Figure it out later. Yeah. I'm a big believer in in saying yes and raising your hand and figuring out how to do it after the fact. Because uh, I've done it a number of times in my career. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of that. You know, I think, especially as a woman, sometimes there's an expectation working in a male-dominated field that you have to know everything about everything. And that is so off base. But as women, you know, we process that early on and it terrifies us. Well, you know, if I'm working in a male-dominated industry and I'm not a man, you know, I have to prove that I know every single thing about every single thing. Well, no, you don't. How, how on earth are you supposed to know everything from NFL football to judo? You're not, you know. And so I think getting over the fear of that and saying, no, I can do this because if it's not going to be me, it's just going to be somebody else who probably is just like me who, you know, needs to learn about judo too. So um, I'm always been a very big believer in saying, yes, I can do it. And then figuring out how to do it. Cause I guarantee you nine times out of 10, you are going to figure it out. And Gosh, so I, what um, a great you know, message. Yes. The expert yeah, trap so I, is a lie. Is a yeah, absolutely. Well oh, it's, women. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, I, I noticed that early on in my career as well. I looked, you know, if I would look back at some of these early stand-ups with live shots from my first job and, you know, they're just, they are laden with stats, you know, let me prove it to you. So-and-so has X turnovers over X period of time. And, you know, this is, this, it was all, everything, everything had a stat behind it. Um, and that was me trying to show like, Hey, I belong here. I know, I know what I'm doing. You know, I understand the game of basketball. Like, let me show you, let me spit all these stats at you. And, and really, once you get over that hump as a young woman in my industry, then you really start to hone the skills that people actually care about, which are the storytelling skills and finding compelling characters and telling people why they should care, you know, and using a stat when it's appropriate, but not necessarily having to prove that you're, that you're knowledgeable, that you just, you have that confidence, you know what you're doing, you work in that industry. Um, so that's kind of on a different track, it, just in terms of really finding yourself, finding your voice and saying, you know, I belong here just as much as anybody else does. So I ran all over London that summer and raised my hand for just about everything and, you know, was bringing the research people donuts every day, coffee, whatever I could find, you know, in exchange for their valuable, precious information and uh, take all the manuals and run out and do something. And, um, and it was that summer that 
had a somewhat of a big break. I think for me, in terms of NBC wanting to keep me around, I was out with a producer of mine, this guy, Bobby V, Bobby Vasilopoulos, who's just like an, the ultimate pro, an incredible person, so grateful, so kind, um, such a mentor for me. And they said, hey, somebody needs to go out to gymnastics, you know, one of the practice sessions. And of course, I raised my hand and said, yeah, I'll go. So I took Bobby V, as we call him, and, and we went. And um, we noticed, I had noticed Allie Raisman because I had covered her in Boston. You know, I was interviewing Allie Raisman leading up to the London Olympics in Boston when I was working in Boston before anybody knew who she was. And But she was a really standout local kid who was going to go do big things at the Olympics. So I was familiar with her and familiar with her parents and her story. And um, when we were there, I know I noticed her and I noticed her parents. And I said, oh, hey, there's... um." I said, hey, Bobby, there's Allie Rayson's parents over there up in the stands, you know, and so we're looking around and just letting things come to us, really just listening and looking for what our story might be. And I started to notice that they were having the funniest reactions to whatever she was doing on the floor. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even remember really what, what we were at, but, you know, the, ooh, ah, oh, no, you know, and the the way that they kind of um, reacted, how nervous they were, I could identify with the emotion of that. You know, parents kind of watching with bated breath, seeing if their kid from Boston was going to be able to do the unthinkable and have success at the Olympics. And so Bobby and I are watching them, and we're really getting a kick out of them. And he said, hey, we should put a microphone on them. You know, this is funny stuff. You it's good stuff. I said, this was you? No, I, I remember this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I said, uh, but you know what, it was really, it was really Bobby, you know, but, but I said, yeah, let's do that. That's funny. So we went to, we went to the, um, the NBC television trailer where all of our control room stuff came out of, and there was a producer in there who's a really good buddy of mine, a great guy, this guy named Billy, and I said, hey, Billy, um, you know, Bobby and I want to try this thing. We, we Allie Rayson's parents are being really funny over there let's put a mic, can we put a mic on him? Because uh, Billy was the one that was in charge of gymnastics, you know, so we just kind of showed up and we were looking for stories and stuff like that. And he said, okay, yeah, let's, let's try it, you know, to Billy's credit. So everybody here saying, yes, let's, let's do it. Let's try it. You know, there's no negativity. There was no, nobody saying like, well, that's a stupid idea or, well, that doesn't sound like something interesting and I've got something better to do. I mean, I was dealing with just the best people in the business who were like, let's go for it. Let's try to see if this will be good stuff. So we did, we put a mic on him and then we left and we kind of like did our whole thing. Um, and we went back to the station and we were, we were laughing about it. We said, man, that's good stuff, you know? And it turns out that Billy reached out to some of the higher powers that be this woman um, molly solomon who is an executive producer at the golf channel now but was running the olympics at the time and she said to him um i'm sorry he said to her hey i got something here that you might want for prime time this is like a really funny moment ali race's parents are hysterical you know and so it worked its way up the chain from me, who was a, a lowly kind of reporter there to just do general news gathering with my buddy Bobby, who was a producer, and to, you know, through the gymnastics channel and then up to the executive channel and then up onto primetime. And then it took off. You know, it really, it went viral. The parents were an overnight sensation. Um, and Allie was doing phenomenally well to her credit. And it turned into this really, really big thing, bigger than me, you know. And at the time, I was. I was, again, like a little bit naive to the process. I felt like, well, that's, I feel so proud that I can just kind of contribute that to, 
to this Olympics. That's like a great moment for me. And I remember getting an email from Molly. They had pulled it and used it in prime time and then it went viral and it was turning into a big deal. And she sent me a, a, a one line email that said something like, Hey, great work out there. This is really good or something to that effect. And when I got that from the really, really big executive, I thought, okay, I did it. You know, I, I came here to really show that I'm capable of, um, you know, finding special moments and storytelling and, and being aggressive and earnest and hardworking and resilient and all those lessons that I had learned from the previous couple of years working in all these other jobs. And oh, by the way, working in Boston and meeting Allie Raisman, I mean, you know, you can call it, um, if you're faith-based, you can just call it really divine intervention. If you're not, you may call it luck, I'm not sure. But, you know, Allie, Allie came into my old building and I sat down and did an interview with her before I went to London. She was probably the only athlete that I met, you know? I mean, um, so to, to have all of those things be forecast to me ahead of time, you know, to have Allie come in and meet her parents and then see her there again and connect the dots and put the mic on and have it be like this viral thing at the London Olympics was such an amazing just chain of events for me as I look back on it now. And you talk about being aware and really paying attention. And when things present themselves, like really taking advantage of those opportunities, that's, a, that's another example of that. It, it, it blows my mind when I think about it now. But um, because of that and because of the hard work that I did in London and some of the packages that we turned, I got back and, you know, was waiting with bated breath, kind of sleeping on the couch sort of a thing had all my stuff in storage units, was about to sell my car. And I get, you know, an email from the, from the big guys over there and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to give you a shot here, um, you know, on the national level. Can you move to New York? And I did. I love that, too, because I think that so many people would picture, you know, you're with NBC, you're at the Olympics, and so you must be staying in some you know, presidential suite and returning to New York to this penthouse condo. And you're talking about actu in actuality, I needed to sell my car and I have all my things in storage, right? The real life versus kind of the Insta life that we all kind of picture everyone having when they're, in, you know, at the peak of their career. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, Sally, don't get me started <laughs> on the Insta, on the Insta life. <laughs> Um, so you said you wanted to take the next step on the ladder and you got to NBC, you got everything that you quote unquote wanted. I guess my question is, was it everything you expected? Yes. And it was some things that I didn't expect. And, um, that's a really, that's a good question. That's a complicated question, I think for me to answer, sure. but you know, the short, the short answer is yes it was i mean it's i am i am fully passionate and invested in what i do and the opportunities that i was provided to travel all around the world you know i i went to france for a month every summer to cover the tour de france and um you know went everywhere from corsica to marseille to provence i was in the swiss you know i was in the swiss alps covering this cycling team that was just one of the most professionally and personally challenging things I've ever done in my career, just from a logistics standpoint. And it was a really, really tough assignment, um, but it was such a, a beautiful assignment, you know, just to be all around the world and then to go to Brazil, to go to Sochi, Russia, to go all the way to South Korea, um, to go to London, to do these Olympics and see parts of the world that I never thought I would see 
and meet people from different cultures that I never thought I would meet. I mean, those were things that I didn't even dream about when I had had this dream way back when on my way to lacrosse practice of like, yeah, maybe I'll try this and see if this will work out for me. If I feel like I can do it. Seems like it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, and then everything domestically as well with the triple crown horse racing, football night in America, there, there was just um, so many incredible opportunities for me there. And it was, it's such a blessing to think back and say like, wow, you really had, um, it's just such a, a great eight years of, of going all around the world and seeing things that you never dreamed of. So yeah, it was very fulfilling. And also it was really at times very challenging. You know, every step that you take on the ladder comes with a new set of um, things to learn. And sometimes it comes the hard way and, you know, those moments are challenging too, but navigating those as well you know if you choose to you can view those as a positive because they um they show you who you are and they reveal your grit and they teach you how to be better and so i i am so so happy that that all of those things came through and i was able to have all the experiences that i did there the good ones and the bad ones what a beautiful answer I just love that you're willing to embrace all of the obstacles that you encountered along the way and be able to flip those and look at them as opportunities because it's so evident in your journey so far that there has always been a thread, right? And, you know, you can't see where the thread is taking you next. You only get to see that upon reflection after you've gone there. And, you know, I would venture to say that, that these obstacles are going to be part of that thread that's going to take you to the next place as well. And that's what's so incredible about life if you have the courage to look at all of those situations as opportunities and don't allow them to take you down. And I just admire so much your, your positive attitude there. Yeah, well, you know, it's easier said than done. And there, when you're going through hard stuff, personally, professionally, sometimes it feels like you're on a little bit of a roller coaster and you do feel like you're hitting rock middle. And sometimes it comes out of nowhere and you're kind of on this, you're on the train tracks going one direction. And then, like you said, you pivot or you're forced to pivot and it's not always easy, but I think sometimes difficult things happen to us to bring us back to ourselves. And I think there's valuable lessons in having goals, chasing goals, reaching goals, but then figuring out how to either maintain those goals where you are that's where the real work is or um you know do you have the strength and the courage to to fight through the really kind of tough dark times and get to the other side of it and figure out what's waiting for you on that side and um it can be difficult to understand why certain things happen and sometimes it's why me and sometimes it's you know i can't believe that i'm in the position that i'm in but i think i really am a firm believer that there is a lesson in all of it and if the lesson even is hey you lost yourself for a minute you got to come back to to who you are and and really be present and analyze why you feel the way that you do what do you, why you're thinking the way that you're thinking you know i think that there's a lot of value in that to always kind of get back to the roots of it all and and why you want to go where you know where you think you want to go I couldn't agree more. In fact, you know, I'm always a big believer in what Simon Sinek calls your why, which is ultimately your purpose. And I think that at this place at Rock Middle, oftentimes we hit that point because we have lost sight of our purpose. We've lost sight of, of our why. And, you know, this is the time to ask yourself, especially at, at the middle place, 
is to ask yourself, who do I want to be at the end of this wild and crazy life? Like, where, where do I want to end up? And, and what do I want my, you know, epitaph to say? And I heard someone say recently, you know, they don't print your bank account on there, right? They're not going to say like what's lying in, in the trust for you. But what they are going to say is who you were. And so the steps that you take from this rock middle place to, you know, that your ultimate destination is going back to that root of exactly what you just said, your ultimate why. And it sounds like you followed a very strong why to get you all the way to NBC. And so I'm really curious about what your gut is telling you now. What, what has it told you to do next? <laughs> you know what? You and me both. Sal, <laughs> it's, it's really the thing that has been very interesting for me now as I pivot and, and take on new opportunities that are different is that I have, I have realized that it is easier in a lot of respects to set a goal and go for it and get it um, than it is to, to figure out what you want the next goal to be if you're not really sure. You know, it's, it's really you think you said it earlier at the beginning of the podcast, having a goal and knowing where you want to go is everything, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes the challenge and the difficulty can lie in not being sure what that answer is. And so I'm in an, an interesting place right now in my career. I've got a lot of different opportunities coming my way that are coming from a lot of different directions and I'm streamlining what that goal is. You know, when I first started my career, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a national reporter. That was the goal. That was the dream. And it was like everything led to that opportunity. And then when you hit the middle, you say, all right, so I pivoted. I'm not exactly where I thought I would be, but that doesn't mean it's over by a long stretch. Um, I need, you know, identify what is next. Like, what do you want next? And if in the middle part of our lives, and for me as a young woman as well, it brings a whole different set of challenges and values and what's important and are you going to have a family are you going to balance you know a more of a, a work sort of personal life um, situation are you going to go full tilt and set another big time professional goal and just put your head down and go straight towards it I mean it's the middle part of your life is such an interesting part of your life because it's I think in some respects it becomes a little bit less about you if you wanted to, you know, and so for me, I, I'm thinking about a lot of different things right now. And I just to be completely honest, you know, speaking with you, I'm, I'm identifying what that what that next goal is. There's it's been an interesting time for me with ups and downs and trying to figure out where where I want to go from here. Um, and I don't know the answer to that quite yet. You know, I, there's a lot of different things on the burners right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the chance to take stock of where I'm at and figure out where I want to go from here. And it may be, it may really be a, a total left turn. You know, I don't, I'm not sure yet, which is really strange. It's a funny place to be when you, when you put your head down for a decade, just absolutely hell bent on achieving a certain goal, and then you come up for air and you go, well, wait a minute, what's, where, where am I going now? You know, and so figuring out that part of it is, um, is challenging and fascinating and interesting. I don't, I don't know that I have the answer quite yet. Well, I think my question then becomes, are you going to let your gut still be your guide? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, 
it's been with me um, my whole life, way before this career even presented itself to me. I mean, I think, you know, we're gut checking ourselves through our adolescence, um, into our professional lives, into our 20s, into our 30s, and for the rest of time. So, yeah, I when I when I feel like something is right, the opportunity is right, and you know, then I'm going to listen to it for sure. I don't. It's taken me this far. I just can't imagine abandoning, you know, something like that. Yeah, how beautiful. I mean, I am. Um... and grew up the exact opposite way. And it's, it's in large part why I'm so fascinated with your journey and the way that you did follow your gut and your intuition. You know, when I went to law school, I probably could have determined on the very first day sitting in the very first class that that was not where I belonged and that that wasn't going to take me to my ultimate purpose or my greatest fulfillment. Yet I didn't listen to my gut. I chose to spend the next 13 years Um, three years in law school and then 10 years practicing because I was so hell bent on creating this atmosphere of success. And I was more dedicated to that than I was with following my gut and intuition. So I love your story and the way that you have followed it and how it always has been there for you. Because now what I come to learn getting through my rock middle place was that if I had listened to my gut, then I knew what was best for me all along. I never needed to look to some external validation. I never needed to look anywhere except inside myself to know the right answer. And I know that. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, I also think it's really funny. I know when I'm not listening to it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, because for me, my, my gut instincts having to kind of live an instinctual sort of life, the way that I, chosen this profession that I have and and the you know the path that I've been on letting it dictate every single decision that I make has made it really strong you know when you when you give into the notion that you're gonna you're gonna live an instinctual life and you're gonna follow your gut if your gut says do this it looks scary but you gotta jump and you continuously make the decision to jump and go yep it's telling me to do that I gotta do it you know then it so I almost think it's like a muscle that you strengthen. And Absolutely. so when, when my gut, you know, I have, I have followed it without fault my whole professional career. So when I know that I'm supposed to be doing something and I decide to do the opposite, um, I can feel what that feels like because it's a nagging, you know, your gut is always going to be there. It never goes away. It's really telling you what you should be doing. And so I think that there's also some value in, in recognizing like, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm making a decision that's a little bit at war with that right now. And so it's something that I've been able to recognize to a certain extent too. I mean, whenever you, whenever you go with what you think deep down is right, I think 10 times out of 10, that's the right call. I couldn't agree more. How beautiful. I mean, I always kind of describe it as a tug right? It's like, I feel that kind of internal tug to head in a particular direction, you know, one way or the other. And when I don't follow that, there's almost a physical reaction, whether it's internally, emotionally, or sometimes even physically, when you're really in tune with yourself. And I love how you're describing that too. So yeah, I, I, that's the experience that I've had as well is that, um, it's, it is almost undeniable, or at least it has been for me that, um, you know, at certain times, and at certain times in my life, a stronger voice than others, but, you know, eventually you get to the place where you feel like you know what's right, and you just you owe it to yourself 
to um, to have that courage to to decide to go in that direction, even if you don't know the how. Exactly. Ah, what a beautiful way for us to be able to wrap this up. I mean, head in that direction, even if you don't know the how. I just absolutely love that message. Um, so if people want to follow what's coming next for you and they want to be able to stay in touch with you, how can they do that? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram. Um, I really have not figured out social media yet. I have to admit <laughs> it. I'm so embarrassed about it. I really hate it. I, um, I'm trying. But um, you can follow me on Instagram and also Twitter. And then um, hopefully um, decide that you want to come on the journey too. You know, it's um, – it's a really crazy thing, this life that we get to lead. And I just feel so lucky that I've been able to do what I love for so long. And whatever's next is going to be fun and exciting because um, just, you know, there's no alternative. Oh, absolutely. Right. The, the life that doesn't include following your intuition or your, like you said here, the, the instinctual life is, is typically a much harder one. And the path is, is much more arduous than, the, the one that involves just a, conquering a, a few of your fears along the way. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Carolyn. I have, wish everyone could see my face because I have, I'm grinning from ear to ear because I've just gotten so much out of this chat and I cannot thank you enough for taking your time. I knew you guys were going to love talking to her and absolutely she just blew me away. So um, I am thrilled. Um, so I want to say if you too are struggling with not knowing the how or what's holding you back, or you feel like you are working harder than you need to for, for earning and earning less than you deserve, then make sure to go grab my free download that has the five tips to earn more and work less. It, it, these are five things that really made a huge impact on my career and have, have changed things. And I wanted to be able to share those with you guys. So thank you for listening to the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder. Remember that you can always find out more about me and the podcast by visiting sallyholder.com and clicking on our podcast section. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And if you've enjoyed listening, please leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. We'll be back next week with another empowering story of dreaming beyond the American dream. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye.